I am not sure if uh, you have recently heard the news about uh, uh, the recent words that were vying to become a part of our regular vocabulary. One of those words is uh, chlorophobia. Chlorophobia. If you don't know what that is, uh, some of you might know what it is, my brother. And uh, chlorophobia, my brother, my brother, it is an extreme fear of clowns. But there is another word which the Oxford Dictionary has crowned to be the word of the year. And it is post-truth. Oxford defines post-truth as an adjective, and here it is, and I quote, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion that appeals to the emotion and personal belief. End quote. Well, in other words, uh, uh, truth takes a back seat uh, to saying anything uh, that can change your mind, even if I use a lie to do it. So if I use a lie to change your mind, even though I know that that is not truth, then that is post-truth. We, my brothers and sisters, are living in a post-truth society where a lie is used as effectively as a truth in order to influence you on how you think or what you decide to do. So again, if I lie to change your mind, if I tell a lie to change your mind, then that lie was more important than the truth because ultimately I got you to change your mind or to do what I wanted you to do. But I tell you, it is extremely frustrating to interact with people whose objective is to have their way even if it means lying to you. I know some of you hear this and uh, you said, yes, that's a shame in 2016. That's a shame. But I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, I know some guys that would tell ladies anything. Come on now. In order to get them to believe whatever they wanted them to believe. So post-truth is not a new thing. Post-truth has been around. And as someone says, Post-truth, it ain't nothing but a lie. Amen? A lie is a lie is a lie. But you know how it is in our, uh, our, our politically correct society. Well, no, it's not a lie. Uh, we just delay telling you the full truth because we understood that if I lie in order to influence you to make that decision, that that was the most important thing. The important thing was not that I tell you the truth. The important thing was that you change your mind. 
So in a world full of half-truths and total fabrications, we feel as if we can't have faith in anyone's word. Uh, we talk to people and it, 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 it taints our view of the conversation. So we begin to wonder, is there truth anywhere? Can we believe anything from anyone? You know, even when you look at the history books, uh, some people have questions about what has happened in history, and sometimes, rightfully so. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ, He stands alone as one whom you can trust in His Word. But also as we now continue down this journey, a journey of faith with Abram, Abram, uh, in our time today, he had to decide whether or not to take God at his word. This was a critical moment for Abram. It also becomes a critical moment for us as well. So let us journey again with Abram as he decides uh, to make a decision on three promises of God. The first one was the promise of a child. The second, the promise of righteousness. And then the promise of land. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. The promise of a child. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in the vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So through a deepening relationship, Abram's interaction with the Lord, it grows and it grows again. Since Adam, uh, we have not seen this level of communication between God and another person. Did you get that? Uh, did you see that in Scripture? So from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Genesis chapter 14, we have not seen this level, you know what I said, level, of this level of communication between the Lord and another person. And if you quickly glance through Genesis 15 here, you will notice a very interesting thing going on, and that is uh, Abraham having a conversation with God. Right? 
God speaks, Abraham speaks. God speaks, Abraham speaks. Back and forth. Do you have this kind of relationship with the Lord? Do you have this conversation going between you and God? This demonstrates how Abram's relationship with God had been continuously maturing, maturing and deepening. We've talked about this the last few times. It seems like every time we make it into this new uh, period in Abram's life uh, that uh, his faith has not remained stagnant, right? Uh, his faith was not static, that we know the faith of Abraham continues to grow, to grow, and to grow. In fact, uh, last time I had to even asked you the question, in which ways have your faith grown in the last year? So Abram, he receives a vision in which God tells him what? It says here in our, in our version, it says, uh, Fear not, Abram. And originally, uh, people had absolutely no reason to be afraid of God. No reason to be afraid of God. A fear entered the picture after sin pierced the hearts of our first ancestors. Uh, you, you remember what it is in Genesis 3.10. And Adam, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Remember, for a period of time, it was just Adam and God. It was Adam, the animals, and God. That was it. Adam had no reason to fear God. But after sin pierced how God had made him, he heard the sound of God walking in the garden, and he became afraid of God. At one time they walked in the garden, not fearing God and not fearing creatures. So this idea of standing before the Lord, now, however, it elicits fears in the hearts of people. Because you and I, we may not know how you stand with God. If God had to call you before himself today, would you have fear or would you have celebration? What would your response be to God? If, if God says, if he calls your name right now and says, stand before me now and I'm going to judge you, would there be fear or would there be celebration and worship? <laughs> but Abraham in this conversation, he doesn't shout a hallelujah. If you notice in verses 2 and 3, that Abram does not recite a praise of thanksgiving, but instead he gives something of a complaint to the Lord. Isn't that something that you can be in such good relationship with God that you can actually complain to him, so to speak? Abram said he hears about the protection of the Lord, and it has been very real to him. And we have also seen over these last weeks how Abram was able to traverse through some tough times, unscathed by the threats of his life and, and those threats uh, to his wife. But as of this moment, 
other than entering the land of promise. Abram had nothing else to show for people being blessed through him, as God said in, in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham had no children. And we know uh, from the scripture it says, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of what? Children. Children were an asset to every single family, yet Abram, especially during this time, he had none. I want to tell you here today that God's promise not yet fulfilled to you is God's promise still to come. God's promise not yet fulfilled to you is still God's promise to come. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, the prophet says this, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are all those who what? Who wait for him. <laughs> Abram probably had a reality check when he thought about God's promises flowing through him. You know, uh, he was not getting any younger, and the Lord needed to hurry up. You know, I, was, I, I have to admit, uh, our oldest saints, you're going to have to forgive me, amen? Just say amen, we're praying for you, Pastor Spencer. And uh, when I thought about Abram being 80 and 85 years old and, uh, and God promised him kids, I have to admit, I thought about my father. I have to admit, Mother Crockett, I thought about you. Brother Parker, I thought about you. I just thought in my mind, what does it look like, you know? And I just said, well, Lord, forgive me, you know, and I, I, I moved on after that. I want you to know, I moved on. I went ahead and moved on. So, so Abram was waiting around trying to uh, figure out how God was going to do this uh, impossible thing with a body he thought was already dead. But yet God would be faithful to him. And God's promise would, would come to him in the way in which he could not concoct on his own. Because you know sometimes when uh, someone encourages us or they say that God is going to do this, that, and the other in your life or sometime in our own minds, uh, we say, well, since God has not done it, then what I'm going to do, then I'm going to make it happen for myself. Then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to force open every single door that I can. Because, you see, if God has said it, that means it's going to happen. And if it's not happening, that means that the problem is, must be me, that I'm not forcing enough doors open so I can get inside. What can you do to help the Lord work out his plans for you? First, we assume that God needs help. Are you listening to what I'm saying? The first thing we're doing, we are assuming that God needs our help. 
then we assume the reason nothing is happening is due to our own inaction. So since Abram was beginning to think God was not uh, going to come through in the way he thought, uh, Abram began to creatively think of ways to have God's blessings happen in his life. So Abram, he thought about his servant Eleazar of Damascus. He says that this right here, he would be my heir. Remember, if you didn't have any children, who's going to take care of your land? God had promised all this land to Abram. Who's going to take care of all this? Is it going to be Lot, who's already in Sodom and Gomorrah and looked like he's already walking outside of God's will? Will it be him? God, I've already left my family back in Haran, and we've already left our family all the way back in Ur. We know no one. Who's going to take control over all this land. This was Abram's mindset, so it must be true, right? (laughs) But it may also reflect our own thinking because we believe that there is no way we could get blessed by the Lord in the manner uh, in which he needs to come through and make it happen through the impossible. We're in an impossible situation. Can God come through in an impossible situation and make it possible? And we know the answer to that question, if you know the Lord is what? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. And we should not have a myopic view of God. And yes, we can spot out plenty of facts about Him, but the proof is in the pudding. You see, our actions reflect more of our belief than our our words. More of our actions than our words, I should say. Right? We we say things, but it really comes down to it. What happens when you're finally in the fire? And this is why all of us need the test of time to determine what's really in your heart. You see... What's really in your heart is not going to be determined after you have put up with something after an hour. Amen? You see, what's in your heart is it will not be determined after you have shown yourself faithful after one week. Amen? Uh, Oftentimes, it's, it's, it's year after year. And know that Abram had already been walking with the Lord for a period of time. When you are squeezed... And how you respond to that squeezeness, that that determines where your faith is. So God says that the plan of Abram to have his servant become his heir was not in conformity to his will. And verse 4 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. I want you to notice something in this verse, right? We begin to read it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. Uh, But I want you to know that in the original language, the first words are not, this man shall not be. That is not the first words. Uh, I need to go back to verse 4. Let's get a little context here. Verse 4 again. And behold, the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's go to verse 3, I'm sorry. Verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, 
you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Right? And now we have the narrative going on. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Right? So we're just going to remove that uh, just for now, just as a, a, a mental note, because when people have conversations, it's like uh, you don't talk to someone, and then it says, now, this is what I'm about to say to you, right? And, and so on and so forth. And then he said, and then, then the next person says, okay, you said that, but listen to what I'm about to tell you, right? That does not happen in conversation. Uh, that's narrative speaking. Uh, so what happens is, Abram simply said, uh, you have not given me uh, any offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Uh, and then the next phrase is not, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, right? We know that the word of the Lord came to him because they're having the conversation. So what happens? Uh, God's word did come to him, and this is what God said. No. This is what God said. No. It does not say uh, in the scripture, in the original, that this man shall, right? It says God simply says, and the Hebrew word is lo. Hebrew word for no is low, right? He says no. This boy, this man, is not the person that I had in mind to become your heir. So God was emphatic. He was saying that you don't get it. You don't get it that uh, what's going to happen in and through you, that it is going to be supernatural. And it's going to be supernatural because I am the supernatural God. No, it would not come through a servant. No, he will not come through normal means. You don't get it, Abraham. It is going to be you. It is going to be you and your fine wife. This heir would come through the union of Abram and Sarah. Their heir would be their biological son. It would be the biological son of two uh, past prime time uh, individuals, amen? So again, never count yourself out because you're to this or I'm to that. Never count yourself out. Why? Because, uh, again, if God needs to make a hole in the concrete so you can get through, God will make a hole in that concrete, amen? If God is involved in your future, then you are as good as blessed. As an illustration, God told Abraham, look here, look up in the sky and count all the stars that you can see and see if you can number them. And many of you know the stories if you've been out of the urban area. You know that once you get out of the city of Chicago, uh, uh, once you get out of any urban area, especially in the country, you, th there are so many stars in the sky. The, uh, the sky, the night sky is, well, the day sky too, as a matter of fact, but we can't see it because of the sun. But the sky is littered with stars. I never thought the very first time I saw that for myself, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that there was that many stars in the sky. But when you get out of the city, far out of the city, when it's really, really dark, when you see the stars and it looks like you can grab a bucket and a ladle and begin to just dump them in the bucket because they're everywhere. You understand uh, the, the place where Abram was. It's like, no way I can count those. So God was saying, if you can't, can't number all of them, uh, you're going to have so many uh, people who are going to be your descendants that you can't number them. That is God's word.
And that is an answer to prayer. Now once we receive the Word of God, we have a choice to make. We must decide whether to believe the Lord or say God's Word makes no sense, so I'm just going to keep living the way I've always lived. Right? This is what it means to have faith. Uh, so uh, you either say yes to the Lord or say it, it, it all makes no sense at all, so I'm going to keep living the way I've always lived. What is your decision? What are you going to do today? Will you really believe God, or are you one of these 50-50 people, right? You only believe what you want to believe when it does not uh, uh, oppose to what you want to do in your life. Is God a post-truth kind of God? I know that some of you have been right up against that wall. You may be wondering whether Jesus can again get you out of a very tough situation. This is the place our Lord is very familiar with. He understands that we travel this road over and over again. And he understands, uh, he, he sees us uh, because it's causing us to fear. It's causing us to be anxious. But remember again what the Lord told Abram at the very beginning. He told him what? To fear not. Don't be afraid. But yet we still fear, don't we? And we still wonder what's going to happen uh, because our, our, our faith is not as strong as we think it is sometimes. So I want you to know that uh, the Lord told Abram that, yeah, you are going to have a kid. And yes, it is going to be between you and your wife. So the promise of a child, God says, is going to happen. The next promise, it's a promise of righteousness. Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed, God, uh, he believed the Lord, this is Abram, he believed the Lord, and he and God uh, counted it to him as righteousness. Let's read that again. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Through, through it all, the scripture still tells us that Abram trusted the Lord. And he believed the Lord. The Lord spoke and he believed it. Verses, uh, very interesting if you take a look again, something that you cannot readily see. Uh, but verses 1 through 5 begin uh, in the same general way in the original language. You can't see it in the English translations, unfortunately. Verses 1 through 5 begin a certain way. And then verses 7 and onward begin a certain way, uh, that same general way. But however, when we get to verse 6, uh, that uh, there is a different usage in the language here. A different usage in the language. And it basically says that uh, Abram was caused to believe or trust Yahweh. In other words, Abram took God at his word. Abram uh, believed or trusted the Lord based solely on, again, even what he said. God would not lie in order to get you to do something. God is not man that he should lie. He's not like us. He would never lie to you. To believe or trust in God means there's full confidence in him and his ability to do whatever he wants you to do. 
Abram uh, took a journey from Ur and battled with the kings as a foundation, however, in trusting in God. Again, as long as we live, our faith will be tested. You will never, okay, let's say it again. Uh, can you say the word never? You will never live in this existence from this time forward, whatever time that is, and never have your faith tested. Having your faith tested is part of our journey. Amen? So if you're going through, it's because of your faith. Are you really trusting God? <laughs> Look at what was said about the Hebrews during the time of the Exodus. Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So they saw, they, uh, they saw God's power, so therefore they believed in him. And I think this is a situation as believers we must not allow ourselves to continuously fall into. Well, what do you mean? Well, what I'm talking about is we only believe after we see. That's not faith. We only believe after we see. In fact, in John chapter 20, verse 29, I'm reading out of the NIV, as a matter of fact. John 20, verse 29. Jesus says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have what? Do you believe the Lord? Do you believe the Lord for what he promised you and then subsequently for what you're hoping in for him to accomplish in your life? You see, it is not belief if you can see it. It's belief if you can't. So the idea that Abram believed God is a really big deal. And this is why I believe that all of Genesis 15, that it hinges on verse 6. And not just in terms of the way we think about it, given our thoughts in the New Testament, but just in terms of how it was written. And let's go again. You know this verse because we've gone through this verse before. Romans chapter 40. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 20. We're going to start there. Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Speaking of Abram, Paul says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith, what does it say? was what? Counted to him as what? Uh, you, you better hold on. Let's uh, read verse 22 again. Uh, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because he what? He believed what? God. Uh, Abram believed God. Therefore, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Because he believed, not because he himself was righteous, but because he did what? He believed in the Lord. 
Abram trusted the Lord with his future because he was not in good hands trusting his future to himself. You know, if you think that you're going to trust your future to yourself, you, you are, you, you're in a heap of trouble, amen? Uh, just again, think back on the years and how people were picking stocks for their retirement through Enron, amen? And even today, I, I can tell you a group of people today who's, uh, even though they were not part of Enron, even though uh, they were right and so on and so forth, that they uh, put themselves together in a way that had been going really well for all these years. And then in 2016, 2016, not 2008, 2016, uh, everything that they had, that they were preparing for their retirement, and no one was doing wrong, it's just things went south. Everything that they prepared for their retirement in 2016 was suddenly cut in half. Everything, it was cut in half. So if you think that uh, we're in good hands uh, because of our smarts, you're wrong, Amen. Uh, you better learn how to trust God. Remember that Abraham and Sarah, they didn't have a retirement plan, amen? All they had was who? They had God. Here it is. Going back to Romans again, chapter 4. Got it right this time. Starting in verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. In hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations as had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old. There you go, our oldest saints. There you go. Amen. Abraham was 100. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So, righteousness is a result of faith. I submit to you today, in one regards, that faith and righteousness are, are, are different sides of the same coin. So what are you talking about? Let's go on again. Let's read this verse again. Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram was considered righteous, again, not because he had received redemption, not because God had saved him, but because why? Why does the scripture say he received righteousness? Why? Because he trusted the Lord. Righteousness was declared based on the faith that was in operation. This is like the salvation or the redemption of a believer in Christ. How are we declared righteous in Christ? Is it the moment that Christ died upon the cross? Are you declared righteous then? Because if the moment that Christ gave his life on the cross, if that declares us righteous, then that means you are universalist. That means that God saves everyone, period, regardless of how you live or how you believe. You see? So our righteousness, even though Christ died for our sins, our righteousness is imputed to us or given to us only at the moment that we what? Believe. So at the moment of faith, 
that is the moment that our righteousness begins to come to us. Now, it's still a little bit multifaceted now. Just, just in terms of this. Understand. That God, in His Word, He says that we must repent of our sins, right? So, th this means that even though Christ has died for our sins, and even though He died, that does not make the entire human race righteous, that it comes through faith, that we must say what God has already said about us. And God has declared us as what? Sinners. And if you don't say about yourself what God has already said, then your righteousness has not come upon you. It's still through faith, and it's still in believing God's Word. See what I'm saying? So the righteousness is here. God, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believe in Him shall not Perish. You see? See that? Whosoever do what? Believe in him. Whosoever do what? Whosoever trust him. Whosoever what? Whosoever have faith in him. It is at that moment that the Holy Spirit comes on in and indwells a believer when you say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Yes, Lord, I believe your word about me and I take you and I believe what you're saying about me and I submit myself to you today. Well, in one sense, righteousness and faith are kind of a different side of the same coin. They kind of go hand in hand. But we know it is through the substitutionary atonement of Christ, amen, that he removes our sins, not simply covers it, that he removes our sin. So this act of faith, however, places it places Abram in a place of being in right relations with the Lord. Having the desire to trust the Lord allows God to be in covenant relation with His people. Without that step of faith, God is not pleased with us. You understand that? Uh, again, Hebrews chapter 11, without that faith, you cannot please God. You can't please God without that faith. No faith, you can't please Him. No faith, you can't please God. So Abram's act of faith plus God's declaration of righteousness, what it does, it now opens an avenue for Abram to enter into covenant with God. Abram's act of faith plus God's declaration of righteousness, it now opens an avenue for Abram to enter into covenant with the Lord. And here it is, that covenant was the promise of land. The promise of land. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. And he said to him, God said to Abram, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Abram, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Here is Abram with the question. Have you ever questioned God before? Verse 9, 
he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Verse 10, And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, Abram could also trust the Lord due to his God's past faithfulness. This is why God says, look here, remember that I brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, Abram. Listen to what he said in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, to the children of Israel. Leviticus 11, 45. For I am the Lord, speaking to Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be what? Your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. You see, the Lord doesn't want us to forget the past. You cannot forget what God has done for you previously. God does not want you to uh, just glibly uh, throw away what he's done. But yet, at the same time, he doesn't want us to get stuck there either. Amen? Because he knows that as surely as you can, can talk about your past, God is, is basically saying, what have you done for me lately? He's saying, ooh, 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 yeah. What have you done? Where has your faith been lately? And if your faith has been stagnant, go ahead and trust me. It's time to have your faith kick into high gear. Verse 10 here again. The promise of land came with a cutting ceremony. The promise of land came with a cutting ceremony. Again, verse 10, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Uh, uh, this cutting ceremony was not the cutting of a, of a ribbon. Amen? Uh, that when you're trying to open up a business, but it was the, the uh, dividing of uh, the animals. Uh, so why do I point this out? Because the word covenant, again, going back to the original language, uh, the word covenant, it comes from the word cut. The word covenant comes from the word cut. So in other words, every time that there is a covenant ceremony within Scripture, that you will notice that there is something being cut up. Amen? And we know that if we were to be in right relationship with God, something had to be cut. And that something was Jesus Christ. Amen? And instead of us. But here for Abram, it was the cutting of these animals, the dividing of these animals that would allow them to begin to enter into the relationship. And it says here, verse uh, 17, verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. I want you to know, as weird as this sounds, this is very consistent with Scripture. And basically, 
When we ask the question, what does it signify? That it represents the presence of the Lord. It represents the pre that smoking fire pot and that flaming torch. It represents the presence of God. In essence, it's a theophany. It is a visible manifestation of what? Of the presence of the Lord. Remember after Moses fled from Egypt, he was tending the flock of Jethro when the Lord spoke to him out of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Remember that? Remember that in Exodus 13, God led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The disciples in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room, they were filled with the Holy Spirit as tongues of fire did what? Descended upon their heads. The Holy Spirit came to do a special work. In Revelation 1, Jesus is seen not only walking in the midst of the golden, golden candlesticks, which implies fire, amen. How are you going to walk between golden candlesticks? Uh, they were simply not on. Those candlesticks were aflame. When the last time you tried walking through fire? Jesus, don't do it, kids, don't do it. Uh, Jesus was able, there it is in, in the book of Daniel. Remember that in the book of Daniel? How Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in that fire. Amen. And they saw one as of a son of man standing in the fire. Which I believe was also another theophany of Jesus Christ. So in Revelation 1, not only was Jesus standing in the midst of the golden candlesticks, but also it says his eyes were also like what? A flame of what? So if you have not understood this previously, please understand today that God has revealed himself through fire. The fact that even Jesus is seen as being on fire tells us that he is God incarnate. And the fact that we see Jesus like, like bronze that tells us that he is deity himself. So the flaming fire pots and the flaming torch, they pass through the pieces which the Lord made a covenant with Abram concerning his promises. So that was God. So why would God want to walk between these cut pieces lying, lying down, lying around? Well, this is what the, uh, the, the uh, cutting ceremony means. This is what it means to be in covenant, you see. When you divide or sacrifice the animal, right? Here God, he walks in between these divided pieces, right? And what it's saying is that God is, is, is telling Abram, he says that if I don't keep my word, may what happened to these animals happen to me. God was telling Abram in this cutting ceremony, this covenant, he, as, as he walked between those divided pieces, he says, look, look here. If I don't keep my word, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Do you think that has happened or will happen to God? 
God is a promise keeper. He does not put up his, his money for collateral. He does not put up his house. He does not put up stocks. That God places himself on the line. So as we continue to live in this ever-changing world, it is vitally important we trust the Lord and we have faith in him to know that he will do everything that he says that he will do. And again, God is not a, post, uh, a post-truth God. That we can have trust in him. We can believe him. And every step of the way, he will watch us. And in the end, we will be victorious and be victorious through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.